Awesome. Thank you very much. Oz, please sit down. Thank you to all of you who stood up and for the rest of you who couldn't be bothered. Um, it's all right. I forgive you. <laughs> awesome. In case you're wondering if you can't understand my accent because you, uh, this is perhaps your first time here or if you're watching online, if you can't understand my accent, okay, it's actually because I'm speaking the Queen's English. Ah, wonderful. Thank you, JT. What a phenomenal report from that trip to Peru. Wasn't that amazing? That was incredible. And uh, we had some uh, amazing miracles two weeks ago. In fact, there's been reports of miracles for the last couple of weeks. And uh, something's up, everybody, all over the nations of the world. The Lord's moving really, really powerfully. Uh, If you want to see miracles, now's the time to get in on the action. And, uh, and go for it, because all of heaven's ready to back you up. We're literally in an unprecedented season in which miracles are like a hot knife through butter. And, uh, and so I wanted to just quickly ask, um, because there's a couple of miracles that I'm, I'm really, I, I thought were just outstanding miracles that I'd like y'all to hear about. Um, so I wonder if Nancy Nyland can uh, come up. She's one of our most senior members of our church, and uh, she got wonderfully and amazingly healed. And also, if uh, Shannon Merrill could come up, if he's, if he's here, um, and uh, I'd like you to tell the story of your son, Shannon, uh, which, which you shared with me in the, you know, this week. Would that be all right? Okay, come on up. Come on up the platform. See how gracefully Nancy's negotiating those stairs? Well, that's a miracle. All right, Nancy, what happened to you two Sundays ago? Uh, give us your, share your story for a moment. Well, I think particularly when Duncan was teaching all of us how to pray that Sunday, somehow or other when he said pray. Quick correction, how to heal the sick. How How's that? Sick. Okay, great. Um, when he said, let your kingdom come now, let your will be done now. My faith just took a leap, and I said, I want that. I want a miracle for my foot. It's been in pain. Um, the doctor is saying that I, I may need surgery before long, and this has gone on for nine years with a lot of prayer. But I need a miracle now. And someone, Lisa, if she's here, um, had only attended four weeks, was behind me and prayed for me. Wow. And God just healed my foot. I, it was almost something I couldn't believe. I didn't feel any pain. And every step that I had been taking for years, I had pain. And I, I tested it all week. I said, is it really true? Is it going to come back? <laughs> or is it really gone, God? And it's gone. And Come on! I was reminded, all I could say is what I think the blind man said, I once was blind, but now I can see. And I once had pain, and now it's gone. Praise God. That's so awesome. Thank you, Nancy. What a phenomenal testimony. Come on over, Shannon. What happened in your family? Well, we were over there two weeks ago, and... My son Joshua, for the last nine months, had had a almost debilitating pain from almost under his armpit all the way down to his hip, to where he didn't want to do most activities, he didn't want to play, he didn't want to come out of his bed some days. Other days he was okay. But for nine months, it was just constant pain in his side. We had no residue for what it was. We had no, we had no information about it other than there was pain. Well... We began to pray over there and ask God, and Joshua was just kind of just standing there. So it was just our family right around him. And as we prayed, and the now word came, his eyes were kind of down like this, and then he went. <laughs> and I said, Joshua, what's going on? He was like, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> And then he sat down. I said, try it out. And he sat down and he got back up. He said, that's so weird. It doesn't hurt at all. 
And literally when we were walking out of the sanctuary on the way back out here, he was walking on the sidewalk. He says, it just feels so strange to walk without pain. And come on! Hallelujah. So he has, he's been able to do gymnastics in the past week. He's, he's, he's been doing much better. We need to keep praying for him because the enemy has tried to attack him with his health in general. So we have been praying for him. It's not anything to do with his side, but he's had a fever off and on with no, no other thing. So we just need to continue to lift him up because that's what I was standing over here believing for the miracle for, his, for whatever was going on with his body. But as far as the pain, it's completely gone. So hallelujah. Come on. Thank you, Heavenly Daddy. All right. Stretch out your hands towards Shannon on account of uh, Joshua. And you're going to stand in proxy for him. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we cut off every demonic work of oppression off of Joshua now. We break its power off of your son, Josh, in Jesus' name. And we declare that from this day forward, the testimony of his life will be he's the healthiest young man all of his days for his long life on planet Earth. And that curse, boom, that generational curse is cut off of him in Jesus' mighty name. All right, he's going to be well. The new mark of his life is he's going to be well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy. JT will help you down the stairs. All right. Well, this morning, my message is shame or fame? Your choice. Shame or fame? And the subject of my message this morning is a little known, uh, and yet for those who know, famous man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. You got to get your tongue exercised just to say his name. You got to stretch it out. Warm it up, Gary, because it's a lengthy name. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I told you you have to warm that tongue up. It's not that easy, is it? Mephibosheth. Okay, well, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 4. And verse 4. Now, to add a little bit of context to this message, Mephibosheth's grandfather was the very first king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel, and he became the first king. Samuel was an incredible, magnificent man, head and shoulders above every other Israelite. He was a giant. And uh, Saul was a great fighter. His name was Saul. The grandfather's name was Saul. And he was a great fighter. And he was, a, he was an, an amazing man in the natural. But Saul had a problem. And his problem was obeying God. His problem was he wanted to look good. He wanted everybody to like him. And how many of you know that a king who wants to look good for themselves and wants everybody to like them, it doesn't take long before their kingdom's in a complete mess. And so Saul's kingdom was in a mess and the Philistines, who were the enemies of Israel at that time, were were constantly overrunning uh, Saul's kingdom and he was constantly at war and so on and so forth. And the prophet Samuel, who had anointed Saul and had ordained him and commissioned him and made him king in front of all of Israel, Samuel, after he saw that Saul on two particular occasions rebelled against God and did not fulfill God's word, Samuel prophesied over Saul that God was going to remove the kingdom from Saul and give it to a man more worthy of him, a man after his own heart. And that man was the very famous king, the most famous of all of Israel's kings other than Jesus, King David. And in fact, King David was such an incredible king that out of all the names that God chose for his Messiah to be known as, his son, Jesus Christ, to be known as, he wanted to be known as the son of David. How many of you know that's fame right there? Now Saul had a son called Jonathan. 
And Jonathan quickly recognized Jonathan was an incredible, anointed, champion warrior. And Jonathan, who was the rightful heir to the throne, after Saul died, it would have gone to Jonathan. The kingdom would have gone to Jonathan. Jonathan quickly recognized that actually David was a better man than his dad, Saul, and that David would ultimately be king. And Jonathan lined up his will to God's will, even though it would cost Jonathan the kingdom. Sometimes you've got to line up your will to God's will, even though it will cost you something. And if you want fame, fame is going to cost you everything. But the beautiful thing is that in the process of it costing you everything, you'll discover that in in reality, really, it's God who's the one who's making you famous. And actually, it's him who wants to be famous in you. And really, it ultimately costs you nothing. It really costs God everything. Cost him his son, Jesus. But Jonathan made a covenant with David. Jonathan's dad was trying to destroy David to get rid of David, but Jonathan, who was the rightful heir to the throne, turned around and said, no, I recognize the call of God on your life. I recognize that it's heaven that makes the decision about who's king and who's not king, not humanity, and I see that God's chosen you. I want to make a covenant relationship with you such that I want you to know I love you with all of my heart, And when you become king, in your love for me, never forget me or my descendants. And David made a covenant with Jonathan to that end. A covenant of love. Of healthy bond of love relationship. Now, as it happened, Jonathan and his father Saul went to battle against the Philistines, and both of them lost their lives. They both were killed in the battle, which meant that the kingdom now was no longer ruled by the household of Saul because both Jonathan and Saul died in one day on the same mountain. And that made it possible for the Lord to establish David now as the new king, which indeed the Lord did. Now, after a while, after a number of years... Not that long, but probably 10 to 12 years of David being the king of both Judah and Israel, King David remembered his covenant with Jonathan. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But there's this little tiny interlude in the story in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was about five years old when the news came that Saul and Jonathan had both died. And his nurse took up Jonathan's son and fled. And it happened that as she was rushing to flee away, that she fell. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, that he fell, she dropped him, and he became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. His name was Mephibosheth. This is a crazy story. The news comes that his grandfather, who was king, has died, and his father, who was the next king in line, had also died. What does that make him? The next king in line, even though he's five years old. And the nurse who hears this news, realizing in her own mind and imagination, she interpreted that as all hope has been extinguished. I'm going to pick up the heir of the throne and I'm going to flee with him. But in her haste, she carelessly dropped a five-year-old boy, crippling him for the rest of his life. Man. It's a shocking story, isn't it? And the reality of the story of each of our lives is that there have been people, nurses so to speak, people that have cared for us, our own parents, our teachers at school, 
our best friends, our cousins, our brothers, our sisters, our uncles, our aunties, our pastors even, our worship leaders, you name it. People that should have been nursing us, so to speak, should have been caring for us, so to speak, should have been mindful of our destiny, but they dropped us. They dropped us. And there's not a single person in this room that cannot identify with Mephibosheth as being somebody who was dropped by people that should have been caring for them. And we've each got our stories of that. Now here's the incredible thing. The name Mephibosheth means, are you ready for this? Exterminator of shame. Boom! I mean, when I looked it up, I was like, I was kind of shaking. I was thinking, I wonder if it means shameful one. It means the opposite. It means exterminator of shame. I mean, Jonathan was such a mighty man of God that when he had a son, he says, my son is going to be an exterminator of shame. He's going to destroy shame. He's going to remove shame from Israel. He's going to remove shame from our family. He's going to remove shame from Gibeah. Saul was... Excuse me, yeah, Saul was from a place called Gibeah. Gibeah was so famous because of it being a place that Saul came from that Gibeah was nicknamed Gibeah of Saul. And for those of you who read the book of Judges, anybody read the book of Judges? Just a few hands go up. Can I make, can I make a suggestion to all y'all? Start a Bible reading program so that you know the Word of God. And don't read so much that other people conjure up and regurgitate, even in their well-meaning desire for you to be educated. And learn to spend time with the Holy Spirit in the Word of God and let the Word of God educate you on your future and your destiny. Because you'll find that there's any number of people that you can find out there, whether it's online or whether it's in the real world or whether it's right in the church or whether it's at work or whether it's in the coffee shop or the restaurant. There's all kinds of people out there that you could, if you're not careful, allow you to become educated according to what they think. But I don't know about you, I would, I love receiving advice. I love receiving uh exhortation, prophetic words, uh, encouragement, and so on. But the thing that I want to build my life on is right here, the Word of God, the Bible, the truth. And it's time for us to be a people of the Word of God, without exception. Don't rely on the person next to you in their knowledge of God to get you through in life. Wives, Don't be relying on your husband's spirituality. It's normally not that way around, actually. Husbands, don't be relying on your wives for their spirituality. Okay? Dig deep roots into the Word of God and into God Himself through the Holy Spirit. If you don't read the Word of God, then what Holy Spirit are you following? You don't know. It might be the right one. It might not be. You just don't know. Now then, I am a little passionate about the Word of God. And um, I've taken it upon myself long before I ever knew that I was going to become a pastor. I took it upon myself to read the Word of God through from cover to cover every year. I suggest that you find a reading of similar ilk that will help you through that, a reading program. So now, let's turn over to the main scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth pops up again. By this time, Mephibosheth is no longer a five-year-old who is lame. He's now probably a 15 to 20-year-old who's lame. David is well established as the ruler of the kingdom. He is the hero of heroes. The kingdom has never extended so big. It goes all the way All the way from the Euphrates River all the way down to Egypt. Hundreds and hundreds of miles of the kingdom of Israel. 
Now David said in chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sakes? Oh, come on, everybody. Can you feel that? Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show them kindness for the sake of Jonathan, my friend, because I made a covenant with him and what I said I'm going to do. Folks, let's learn to be a people of our word. Amen? What we say, let's make sure we back it up with our actions. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service, sir, your majesty. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, You can feel the reluctance in his voice already because, guys, you need to understand Ziba took over everything that belonged to King Saul. Everything. Gibeah, which was the town that if you read in the book of Judges, was this town that was full of ruthless, reckless, sinful human beings, men particularly in the entire town that ended up raping terribly a Levite's concubine. And that's a whole other story. And as a result of that, they refused to hand, Gibeah refused to hand those men over. And as a result of that, all of Israel, 11 tribes went to war against the one tribe, Benjamin, and literally ended up winning and wiping them out except for 600 men that were left. Can you imagine? A tribe of 40, 50, 60,000 were wiped out in one week so that only 600 of them were left one of which was Mephibosheth's, Jonathan's, and Saul's ancestor, such that they could survive. Gibeah became famous for being a place of horrendous, deep sin, iniquity, and the slaughter of the entire tribe of Benjamin. And God starts this redemption plan in the midst of all of that by choosing one of those uh, descendants, Saul, to be the king. Folks, it doesn't matter what has happened in your past. It doesn't matter what's happened in your bloodline. What counts is that Jesus Christ has a plan for your life, for you to be the redeemer of your bloodline, for you to be the redeemer of your past. And you have a destiny. You have an incredible calling in Christ Jesus. You have a destiny that's not only going to turn your bloodlines from shame to fame. You have a destiny that will cause your entire, uh, not only for you or your bloodline, but your entire city that you're from to be turned from shame to fame. Ziba inherited Gibeah, all of the land around. A giant probably had a several thousand acre farm. And uh, he reluctantly says when the king calls him in, well, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. Why did he have to say that to the king? The king didn't need to know that he was lame in his feet. The king would have discovered that he was lame in his feet the moment he saw him. But you know what? Zeba was trying to just turn that knife in, wasn't he? He was trying to turn it in there because he knew that David had an issue with the blind and the lame in his past because when he went to attack Jerusalem, the Jebusites who at that time ruled Jerusalem turned around and said, You Israelites, you're never going to get in here into Jerusalem. It's a fortress. You won't possibly able to take it. Even somebody who's blind and lame could stop you guys coming in here. It's right there for you to see. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And it says there that David, because of that, David 
loathed anybody that was blind and lame at that time. How many of you know that's not the heart that God's looking for in a king? And here's David, a man after God's heart, who's formed an ungodly belief and an ungodly attitude to people that are weak. People that are different to him. People that are blind and lame, he writes them off. Well, of course, he wrote them off so badly that he actually made a law in Israel that was not God's heart and said, nobody who's blind and lame should ever enter the temple of God. It's right there in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Read it for yourself. And of course, I love the story when the Holy Spirit landed right after Pentecost. The first miracle that Peter and John do is the blind man, sorry, excuse me, the lame man at Gate Beautiful. And when they lift him up off of his feet, he goes running into the temple. Why? Because it was still at that time a false rule that nobody blind or lame should ever enter the temple. And that was never God's heart. And I just love this story because God loves all of us. He loves us whether we're kings like David, he loved, and in a palace, he loves us whether we're Mephibosheth, and he loves us whether we're the nurse that drops somebody. He loves us all, and he has an incredible plan for us, a plan to reverse everything of our past and turn our destiny into a future that glorifies God and makes us famous, to make him famous. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. How many of you would like to know what the name Lodabar means? Lodabar means waste place, no pasture. Dry, waterless, waste place. Mephibosheth, lame in his feet, destined for the palace, destined by God to become a ruler and a prince, dropped by his nurse, by the time he's 15 to 20 years old, is living in the most dire, barren, hostile town that is known all over Israel as being the place that's just wasted. Waste place. And you know that right there, Mephibosheth, who was destined to exterminate shame opens our eyes to how many of us live our lives. Created and born to rule. Created to exterminate shame in our cities, shame in our families and shame on the earth and and to exterminate shame from the earth in Christ Jesus. And yet because of our self-pity, because we allow shame, the very thing we were created to exterminate, we allow shame to come in on us because we think about all the ways in which people have dropped us, people have let us down, people have hurt us. And we take all of those things and we make them a giant excuse to, to give us everything we need to justify our bad behavior and not moving on in life. And we end up settling in a waste place. Settling in a place of no pasture. Settling in a place where we can't offer anybody anything. But that's not catch the fire people. And that's not you. And that's not the destiny of this church. This church is destined to eradicate and exterminate shame from Raleigh, from Durham, from Cary, from Chapel Hill. And not only that, from the world from the world. And I thank God that this church is part of a global movement of Catch the Fire World. Over 30 churches and climbing, literally every month now. It's taken the Holy Spirit, it's taken a life of its own on. And now we're just, pop churches are popping up all over the world called Catch the Fire. I love it. That's great. That's awesome. And that's our destiny as a movement. However, you have a destiny. 
And your destiny is to enable your family. Well, actually, your destiny is for you to become all that God created you to be. And in that belief system, to make room for an entire generation that will come from you of radical world changers, radical city shakers, radical shame exterminators from your workforce, from your company that you work for, or the company that you have working for you, or from your family. God's calling you to be so much more than somebody who stays. Whoops, that was not good. Is that going to be okay, or do I need to... That's all right. Okay. I'm just thinking water and electronics don't mix very well. Sorry about that, everybody. This water bottle is slightly rocky. Thank you. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, verse 6, had come to David, I love the fact that David doesn't hold anything back. I don't care if he's all the way in Lodabar. I don't care if he's uh, lame in his feet. I don't care if everything that he owns, you've taken over, Ziba. It wasn't yours to take over. You're supposed to be his servant. You're supposed to be caring for him. I'm going to show you what kindness looks like. Go get Mephibosheth. Go get him. Go get him. Go find him. I love the heart of the king here. Folks, do you have the heart of a king? Because the heart of a king looks for Mephibosheths. The heart of a king doesn't write somebody off because they're lame or they're blind. The heart of a true king doesn't write somebody off because they're different to you. The heart of a king doesn't write somebody off because they come from a place that's called waste place. The heart of a king doesn't write anybody off. The heart of a king understands that in the presence of a king, anybody can become a king. And God's looking for us to be a people that transform this city because we're willing to embrace Mephibosheths. No matter what their excuses might be. We never give up on them. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sakes. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Oh, come on. And then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? How many of you know that Mephibosheth might have been living in Lodabar, but now Lodabar was living in Mephibosheth. Be careful that you don't live in your past, but be even more careful that you don't allow your past to live in you. God's calling you to a bright future. Never use your past as an excuse to hold you back from the destiny that God's called you to walk in. You were destined for greatness. Each one of us in this room are destined for greatness. Let no excuse, let no reason, let nothing hold you back from stepping into all that God's called you for. On the day of judgment, you'll receive a crown, a great reward. In your life between now and then, you will receive a crown, a great reward. In the eyes of the world, God will openly reward you. Don't disqualify yourself from that reward because you hold on to the bitterness of your past. Because all those people that hurt you, they've moved on. They're, they're, they're going for it. They're probably even blessed. And you're wallowing in the cave of self-pity, licking your wounds. <laughs> and they're out there getting famous. 
Let it go. Let go of that nurse. Let go of Lodabar. Let go of the kingdom that you thought was yours. God's got an altogether more lovely kingdom for you. Shakabungu. And the king called to Ziba. I love the way David completely ignored him on that issue. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all of his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants himself. How many of you can see that Ziba prospered himself on Saul's decline and Jonathan's decline and Mephibosheth's decline? He started out the servant and then he ends up the one with 15 sons and 20 servants. But David sets the record straight. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like he's one of the king's sons. Come on. Come on. You have a bright future. You can decide today, I'm letting go of Lodabar. I'm saying yes to this invitation from the son of David, Jesus himself. I say yes to your invitation. And when you say yes, even if you think you're just a dead dog like he did, even if you came from Lodabar, if you say yes, then your future from this moment on will be eating at King Jesus' banqueting table every moment for the rest of your life and into eternity. And into eternity. Oh, you say, well, my people. Well, my family. Well, me. If you only knew our story, you'd understand why we can't move on. That story was not your original story. That story was not God's original story over the life of you or your family or the people that you come from in all of your ancestors. Jesus Christ has come to reconnect you to the original story of God's goodness to each one of us in this room. And in his great salvation, each of us are connected in union with Christ so that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And we, according to Ephesians 2 verse 10, are created in Christ Jesus to do incredible, extraordinary works that he's planned in advance for us to do. How many of you know that if you were to say yes to Jesus today and started to do all the good works that he's planned from before time began for you to walk in, it wouldn't take long before you started becoming famous. And by the way, don't be saying there thinking to yourself, oh, I don't want to be famous No, I I want Jesus to be famous. Yeah. Because what I'm really trying to tell you in all of my efforts of humility is I'm better than you think. It's hard for infamous people to make anybody famous. It's really easy to make Jesus famous if you're famous. And God wants you to be famous. Embrace it. Get over it. It's for his glory, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his fame. God wants to give you a name. God wants to give you a name among the great. God goes on to say through the prophet Nathan to King David, David, you want to make a house for the Lord. But actually the Lord says to you, I want to make a house for you. I want to make your name great. I want to give you a name among the great. 
Why? Because God knows and understands that as your name increases and your greatness increases, his name and his fame and his greatness increases all the more. All the more. Now, don't get me wrong. I know. I understand that there's definitely, definitely a large amount of room for you not to make Jesus at all famous if you start getting famous for yourself. But I just want to set the record straight that if your heart is a heart after God like David's was, God wants to make you famous. But why does he want to make you famous? Because he loves Mephibosheth's. He loves David's, but he also loves Mephibosheth's. And he has a calling and a destiny on your life, on your family's life, on this church's life, and on this movement's life of Catch the Fire World, Catch the Fire Raleigh Durham. He has a purpose in your corporations that you own, in the corporations that you work for, What he desires is that his kingdom will come and his will would be done. And he's the king of kings. And you and I are the kings that he's the king of. And we're the little kings with the little K in the big king with the big K. But don't be struggling to try to connect with the big K when you're already immersed in him. You're already immersed in him and he's already immersed in you in the new covenant. Start to move forward in your life from this moment forward. Start to make a decision. I'm going to live life like I'm David, like I'm a David in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer going to be Mephibosheth. I'm now going to be David. Or rather, if I am Mephibosheth, it's for what Mephibosheth was really created a name for. I'm going to exterminate shame. I'm not going to be the Mephibosheth of Lodabar. I'm going to be the Mephibosheth that eats at the table with all the sons of the king. Come on, everybody. Make that decision in your heart right now. Let's be a people. Let's be a people that that allow the glory and the lifter of our heads, Jesus Christ himself, to lift our chins up out of our shame, out of all the things of our past that we feel disqualify us, out of our waste places of the opportunities that we missed and that we screwed up on. And let's step forward into all that God has for us. We were not created for Lodabar. We were created for Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and the palace of the king. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Zeba became the servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I believe that God used Mephibosheth to change David's heart, and I believe that David loved Mephibosheth. And no longer looked at his crippled feet as something of shame, but looked at his lame feet and it reminded him of his own lameness without Christ Jesus, without God. And every one of us in this room, yes, we're called to be famous. Yes, we have an incredible destiny, but we must never ever forget that the primary reason for all of that is the fame and the worth of Jesus' name, of Jesus' name. And when we have that perspective, we can look at the people in the, who in the past would have made our stomachs churn, would have made us anxious, would have, and that's if we even noticed them. There are people in your world that you don't even notice. There are. When you're Mephibosheth in Lodabar, you don't notice anybody. You're in your own little pain. And there's people in your, in your world that you don't notice. You've got brothers and sisters who all you can think about is how they've hurt you. You have no idea how you hurt them. You can't see them. All you can see is me and my load of bar issues. But folks, God wants us to have the heart of a king, King David. Who are the Mephibosheths around you? 
that God's calling you to rescue from Lodabar. We want to be a people that rescue people from Lodabar. Let's stand. Let's stand. I don't want to move on from here without giving every single person that's in this room that has never invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, to be your King and to be your God, to make that decision today and to give your life to Jesus. And if that's you and you're in this room this morning, you, like Mephibosheth, are lame not necessarily in your physical feet, but certainly in your spiritual feet. And the Lord wants to come and heal those spiritual feet. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God wants to give you beautiful feet today. If that's you and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, or maybe you've come this morning and you've, you've walked with Jesus in the, in the past, but today, you know it's time to get right and return to the Lord. If that's you this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray this prayer. Well, well let's all just, out of respect for one another, close our eyes or whatever, or adopt a posture of prayer for just a moment. But if that's you, pray this prayer with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus the truth is, I've been living life my own way. And as a result of that, I found myself in Lodabar, a completely waste place, a place where I'm, I'm totally struggling with all kinds of sin and rebellion and issues of the heart. But Lord, I thank you that like David rescued Mephibosheth, Jesus Christ, you desire to rescue me today. And I say yes to your invitation to a future for eternity in the palace with you eating at your table. And today I make a decision in my heart to turn back to you. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me for my sin. I open my heart to you. Come into my heart this morning and forever. I make you my Lord and Savior because that's who you are, my King and my God. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we believe that you're born again. Congratulations. Welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Be sure, be sure, yes, we're all excited for you and heaven's even more excited. Be sure to tell somebody before you go home today. Be sure to tell somebody. And also, find a Bible-believing church that's full of the Holy Spirit and join that church. Amen? All right. Now, folks, we're going, I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team. If you could come out and come forward, please, and be ready. So if the prayer ministry team this morning that, that are wonderfully trained, if y'all could come out. Folks, before we go this morning, I want to invite you all to respond in, in different areas of this message. For those of you who've been dropped over and over and over and over again, at least that's your perception and your experience from you, your perspective. And nobody wants to in any way negate your perspective. Because the reality is Mephibosheth's nurse, nurse dropped him. <laughs> and many of us in this room have experienced what it feels like for people that were meant to care for us. Dropped us. I was sent to boarding school when I was five and three quarters. I was Mephibosheth's age. I went to boarding school for 13 years. How many of you know that's a lot of rejection and a lot of abandonment? And you know, I thank God for the grace of God in my life to be able to make choices to come out of my own Lodabar and live instead in the palace of King Jesus. 
I thank God for people that came alongside of me and moments like this when I responded and came to the prayer ministry team and forgave my parents and forgave my schoolmasters who just tormented me and caused so much pain, bullies at school and so on and so forth. And I was able to forgive them and release them and no longer live in Lodabar and the cave of self-pity, but instead live the life of a champion in Christ Jesus. And that's what God has for you. And if that's you, I want you to come up to the front. But also I want to put a a call out there to every David that's in this house. I want to call out to every David that's in this house. I want to call out to many of all y'all. You're incredibly successful. You're successful in your business. You're successful in your family. You've got so much success, it's coming out of every single pore of your body. Which is amazing. But you need to be willing to lay down your life for some Mephibosheths in your life. You've got to be willing to draw those that don't deserve to be in the palace of your life. You've got to be willing to allow them to have a bit of your time, them to have some of your resources, them to have some of your delicacies and your food, them to come to your house like David was willing to open up his house for Mephibosheth. And I want to put a call out to all of you that are in this room that want to be a king like David. I want you to come up to the prayer ministry team. They're going to lay hands on you. And I believe that the anointing of David, King David, is going to come upon you in a remarkable way. And you're going to transform this world. And then lastly, there's some of you, you've been that nurse. You've been the one that dropped others. You've been the one that caused so much ruination. I know that it took my mom and dad, it really, really, really took so much for them to just forgive themselves for sending us boys to boarding school. But you know, my parents are the kindest, most amazing people. And I know that what they did, they did because back in the 60s, 70s, there wasn't homeschooling and internet this and that. They had little choice if they were going to follow the call of God on their lives. But they had to give themselves a gift of forgiveness. And some of you know that you've dropped people in your, in, along the journey of your life. You've got your Mephibosheths that you know you're the cause of why they're limping. And if that's you, I want you to come out. So we have a call for Mephibosheths, we have a call for Davids, and we have a call for nurses that need to be restored. Amen. Okay, if that's you, come on up to the front. I just feel there's just going to be a groundswell of people that are going to come up and God's going to just give us an absolute revolution in love up here at the front as he pours out his spirit upon y'all, y'all. Woo, JT, shakabanga. Come on up, everybody.